1: Lin-Manuel Miranda created two of the greatest Broadway musicals of the 21st century, In the Heights, which hits movie theaters today, and Hamilton, which won Best Musical five years ago. I spoke with Miranda at the National Archives Records of Achievement Award in
2: 2016. This is my first time here, and um, you know, we just kind of got the extra goodies tour uh, backstage, so we got to see a first copy of the Hamilton's report of public credit. We saw a handwritten letter from a to Congress at age 89 towards the end of her life. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm here with a pang of regrets that there are so many <laughs> treasures that I didn't see firsthand. One of the things that you realize when you write the show is every argument we're having now, everything we cover in Politico or in The Hill or your various news outlets, we had a version of that fight already. Um The fights that we have as a country, the debates we have between left and right, between progressive and liberal, there's been a version of it and it's, it's sort of like family fights, you know, the fight you have with your siblings, you've been having variations on that same fight for your entire lives. And so um, it actually kind of gives you a nice dose of perspective when you read the news and think, the world's coming to an end, you go, oh, no, it's been this bad before. <laughs> they are our fights. We're always going to argue about the size of role in our government, the size of government in our lives. We're always going to argue about the how much we... Um, How involved we are in the affairs of other countries, we are always going to be dealing with the repercussions of slavery and its legacy and how it affects who we are as a nation always. Um, It's part of the original fabric of our country, so, um, you know, they're just, we're going to move this way and we're going to move this way and the needle's going to move, but there are issues, you know, you don't solve your family's issues, you just kind of keep talking them out.
1: Mr. Miranda, could you remind us, take it back to the, that original poetry jam you did at the White House. Yeah, what, what was going through your mind when you walk in front of that camera and, and you deliver that and you say, you guys laugh,
2: but no one's laughing now? Well, it was so funny, you know, we got in a car to get here and the address was 700 Pennsylvania Avenue. I was like, oh, I've been next door. Um, it was so funny to hear that address. Um, you know the. Um, I was terrified. I was as terrified as I've ever been. I was performing something I'd only previously performed in the shower and to my girlfriend and to maybe Tommy Kale and Alex Lacamoire. And and so the thrill was, you know, what happened that night is what has happened in real life, which is they laugh because it's a crazy idea and then they get sucked into the story. Just like I got sucked into the story when I read Ron's biography and he sucked me into Hamilton's life. Um, that's the kind of power Hamilton's life holds. and so uh, you know you see it in miniature in that in that evening.
1: Director Thomas Kale also called into his hometown radio station to discuss the award.
0: if the 12 year old version of me right now knew what would be happening, uh, it would be it would be a very strange time warp so yes I Long-time listener, as they say. Long-time listener.
1: <laughs> Could you say traffic and weather and Hamilton on the 8s? <laughs> I, mean,
0: I, I mean, not only would I say it, but I feel like I'll probably you know, start working there tomorrow if you guys would let me. So I'm, <laughs> this is the thing that probably you – know, this, this, uh, this incredible honor that the archives is bestowing on the three of us is a very big deal, and my mom is an archivist. Who works in Georgetown, so it's doubly big. I think the, the WTOP part of it might actually be one notch below. I mean, like, right <laughs> under the thing. So, so I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, that's so awesome. Um, as our listeners heard, you grew up in Alexandria. I want to get to the hometown hero stuff in a second because I just think it's so cool that you're coming home to get this. But but first of all, you know, talk about sort of, you know, how big of an honor this is. I went I and covered this a couple years ago when they honored um, Spielberg and Ken Burns and a couple people that year.
0: Exa- oh, gosh. Let's, let's keep Spielberg in like his own paragraph from Kale. I think it's just with all, all respect to me. <laughs> I'm trying to, yeah, I'm, I'm, to I'm, I'm trying to
1: link, on. I'm trying to link your two directors, man. I'm giving you some cred. Yeah,
0: way too much. But uh, thank you. All right, crazy. carry on with Spielberg's quote about me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't specifically about you, but he was saying, when he got honored, he said, history is the most exciting thing we got. We live in two directions. One towards the future and then also not enough in the past. And I just thought it's perfect that for for such a play about, you know, a founding father like this, it's almost like you're answering Spielberg's call there. But, you know, just explain how big of an honor this is and to do it at the archives and how that ties into, you know, the fact that your show is is bringing history
0: to light. I mean, it's an extraordinary honor. I, I can't overstate, you know. What it means to be from where I'm from and part of the the community uh, of Northern Virginia and the and the DC area. You know, I, I went to school from seventh through twelfth grade in in DC, and every day driving in that very long drive from Alexandria, <laughs> you know, you go by these monuments and 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 you become used to them. You know, I grew up fifteen twenty minutes from Mount Vernon. You know, I went to soccer camp uh, at University of Virginia. So uh, these people, Thomas. Thomas Jefferson, uh, James Madison, George Washington, Lincoln, they, they're, they're places you drive by as a child, and then all of a sudden you become an adult and you start to really understand the significance of what it means to to make a monument, to pay honor to something. And in a way, what we are trying to do with our show is honor the, the musical theater that inspired us to have a chance to talk about... This country, to investigate this country, to explore the promise of this country. And as the son of an archivist and as a very mediocre American history student who has now made his thesis advisor proud, finally, (laughs) you know, I've spent so much time, you know, wandering around, you know, stacks and being in libraries and being around books and and trying to make history feel relevant. And uh, because it always felt like that to me. And I've, I've always been fascinated by the idea of of historiography and and who tells the story and Lynn in his way f- arrived at a place where where we met and this became you know one of the central tenets of our show so you know Ron Chernow's book, which was such an incredible inspiration for us, and and you know our interest in having fidelity to the story and authenticity, so that people that cared about history like we did would would know that we were honoring it, um, has you know has been such a, a lovely surprise for us to see people um, embrace the show and to be at the archives. Uh, to be to be recognized by an institution as as essential as, as that is uh, I mean it's it's a, it's incredibly humbling and we're just we're we're all so proud to be able to to, to be there together.
1: I, I love what you're saying about you how you grew up driving by all the monuments. And it, and you almost take it for granted. I mean, because I grew up in Frederick, and, you know, it's Francis Scott Key is buried in Frederick. and right. you know, It's like, you know, we're surrounded by all this. Um, so it, it's just it's just wild how that can percolate and, and you know, grow. <laughs> the seeds were planted at a young age, I guess, for that.
0: Absolutely. And then, you know, when you move to New York City and, you know, Lynn is— you know, writing a show about Washington Heights, and we're doing the show at the public theater initially on Lafayette Street. I mean, it's everywhere. and New York City is, is, is another one of those cities where you walk, you, know, you walk four blocks, and if you really pay attention, you see that there's a little placard that says, what happened here, what happened here, what happened here, and we're standing on the same soil it's the same building. It's the same artifice, the same foundation that we're all built from. And I think that's what the show is trying to connect to this, this, ability for us to see that it can belong to all of us and not just some of us
1: and almost stop and open your eyes because it's all around you if you have so many people just have tunnel vision but the history is all around us um that's that's awesome uh take take me into your childhood in in Alexandria. was it did you have sort of a creative household did you put on plays in the living room for the parents or you know (laughs) how was it at a young age
0: well uh, I'm sure I was incredibly aggravating and annoying when <laughs> growing up. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm in the middle of two sisters, which is one of the the most defining things about me. Um, so, you know, having two sisters um, was a <laughs> indicative of these things. One, uh, you know, I could only watch the movie Grease. Uh, it was the only thing I was allowed to watch. And two, <laughs> you know, I I grew up in a family where I was playing sports mostly, and and was obsessed with. Uh, you know like listening to like the skins games or you know and i wanted to be a sports broadcaster and you know john miller and i mean that was really what i wanted to do so what i did more often than anything was i would have like a tape recorder and i would record myself um you know (laughs) uh you know and there are some tapes out there that hopefully have been destroyed um, of some early broadcasts of mine that um, should not see the light of day but you know i didn't really start doing theater until until college i went to sidwell friends and i had a a teacher there named John Elko, who really altered the course of my life. He he asked me to take an acting class. It was the only acting class I've ever taken in my life, and it was not something that I ever thought of doing or necessarily pursuing. But it really opened up my eyes to uh, a, a possible landscape to explore. I, I didn't even think of a life in the arts as something that one could do. And it's not that I wasn't exposed to them. I, you know, we'd we'd go to the National, we'd go to the Kennedy Center, see something in arena stage. Uh, you know, those things were around, but it didn't occur to me that on the title page, when it said directed by that, that was a job you could have. It just, it felt like it was. Um, So it, it, you know, it was a childhood uh, and growing up, you know, right near the, you know, the Masonic Temple, (laughs) the GW Masonic (laughs) Temple, where I learned how to both drive and sled, you know, was in my backyard. (laughs) And so I was, you know, I was, I think, very, informed by the, the sense of place because Alexandria and Old Town had such rich history and Virginia was a, a state that had so much pride um, and, 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 and was was talking about history in a way that did, didn't make it feel distant because between the Williamsburgs and the Old Towns, it, it felt like it was around and in Mount Vernon, of course, and, and activated in some way. And so it, that was probably something that I implicitly was absorbing as opposed to seeking out.
1: Absolutely. But before we move on to sort of your your college years where I know your whole life changed. Uh you mentioned John Miller. Does that mean you're an O's fan and an Skins fan? I mean That's yeah. all we that's all we had back I mean, in the day, right?
0: The answer is yes. Awesome. Yes. Uh, you know, no, no, that's also, that's the
1: right answer. That's because
0: I... Uh. Oh, no, no. I mean, look, I mean, it was... <laughs> I can really go deep on, you know, the 1991 Orioles if we would like to. Yes. Um, you know, so, I mean, the 89 Why Not Orioles really, you know, changed everything for me, of course, because I was a little bit young. But, you know, like the 87, you know, that 87 football season, the 91 football season, that bandwagon year, reading Tony Kornheiser and you know, writing about, you know, that team and, you know, Doug Williams and Mark Rippon, like huge parts of my life. And then what happened is both those teams started to break my heart in, <laughs> in college. And I became slightly, uh, I, I realized I had to, I had to remove some, some level of advocacy. Otherwise I was not gonna be able to get through the day. So now I can appreciate sports in a very different way, but you know, I root for the nationals and support them and, and the Orioles. And I, I just, I like seeing any of those teams succeed. I was, a big, you know, I was a big Washington Bullets fan as well.
1: That's just great. You had your little microphone as a kid trying to be Frank Herzog and John Miller. Herzog actually worked here at T.O.P. a little bit after he, he left the broadcast for the Redskins. It's crazy. Uh, Touchdown, right. touch no, cool. Tom McHale. Alright, uh, <laughs> uh, right, so moving to college, you went to, to Wesleyan in Connecticut. Yes. Um, and that's where you, you met Lynn manuel Miranda.
0: Uh, I, I actually only heard of Lynn. I didn't meet him until I graduated. Lynn was a freshman when I was a senior. And okay. as I like to say, I was not Talking a freshman. Um, so, uh, so Lynn was this precocious freshman who I'd heard about, and then when I graduated uh, the next year, so I graduated in 99, in 2000, Lynn wrote a very proto version of In the Heights, so an 80-minute one-act, and a couple of my friends, John Mailer and Neil Stewart, saw that, and they called me and they said, hey, that kid Lynn wrote this show, it's really good. When we start our theater company in a couple years, we should we should find him and produce it. And so they sent it to me in two thousand. In two thousand two, he graduated. I went and met him with those guys in May of two thousand two, and. I actually just got off the phone with Lynn right before I was talking to you. So I kind of think of it as like the beginning of a 14-year conversation. We just never stopped talking. It just has been the two of us <laughs> yakking at each other for 14 years.
1: So you were like, uh, sorry, Lynn, I got T.O.P. on the other line. I got to go.
0: <laughs> Basically. And and obviously he understood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's so fantastic. Uh, so how did you you know, describe that first meeting w- when you met him? Take me into that a little bit. What did you well, think of it? I,
0: I thought, well, you know, they say the kid's pretty good. We'll see. We'll see what he's got. Um, <laughs> you know, the first time I met Lin was right after his show, and we had a very brief conversation up at up at Wesley. And then when he came to the Drama Bookshop, which is where my theater company was in residence, we had a little black box theater down there, about fifty seats. And Lin came and sat down there, and we just started talking. And I I just saw instinctively that his, you know, his motor revved really high. And he was so able to absorb ideas. This is something that he had written two years prior, and I'd been thinking about for two straight years. Mm -hmm. And he had not been thinking about that much at all. And I started asking questions or, um, you know, addressing one thing or uh, this thing or that thing. What what if this happened? What if this happened? And he was just exactly on my frequency, you know, And, and I just and it's, you know, I was 25 years old, he was 22, but I was very clear that some sort of spark was happening between us that was both shared. And the first time we met, it was a six hour meeting. It was a meeting that went into a meal where um, I picked up the check. Thank you, Lynn. um, Mm -hmm. And then continued afterwards. So it honestly was a six hour conversation. And I just thought, oh, he understands that we want the same things. I want to try to realize his vision. I want to try to make the thing that inspired him a reality and that was my job and it just it just it was that immediate though i mean it was really a, it was a remarkable connection and very very uh deeply felt initially
1: that's so great when when did the exactly the um so we, we covered your first meeting you know and, and your your other stuff on broadway with him but when did he first tell you about hey i read this <laughs> Alexander Hamilton biography and i think it'd be an awesome musical <laughs>
0: um you know oddly i because of gmail i know the date uh it was august 1st 2009 wow. so a little more than 7 years ago he sent me a gchat you know that said hey i'm i'm reading this biography and i just sort of said great what else are you do like i mean it didn't even register on me right. um you know he grabbed a book and then when he got back from that later in august of uh, 2009 he told me about how this book really sparked for him and that he wanted to meet the writer and that he had an idea to write a song not not a musical but maybe uh a collection of songs so really the end of 2009 was when I first started hearing about it and we started talking about it but it took him months and months to write that first song which is the one that's on YouTube that he performed at the White House and then after that he performed it and no one saw it and then through this sort of strange circumstance they had recorded it and they put it out on YouTube and then the world had this song and that was a an insight into what it felt like in the room. He had described it to me and he had played the song for me, but I sort of saw this electricity shoot off stage and, and electrify that audience. And then I just, Tried to encourage him to keep going, and so that's you know that's how that that's really how it all started was you know that that one song seven years ago.
1: As you had him keep going, and you know writing and rewriting and tinkering, um, you know what what sort of sort of like changes did you make along the way? Did you know was there an earlier version of of Hamilton, an earlier draft that that was v- drastically different?
0: Well, you know we kind of built it together brick by brick. You know whereas in the Heights was something that existed. In a form, you know, there was an 80 minute version, and then our uh, collaborator, Kiara Hudies, who's had a lot of her work produced down in the DC area, came on board. But there was a 120 page script. So that was sort of like taking something that he had birthed and then going back and reimagining and, you know, getting under the hood together. This one was something that, you know, really from that first song existed as one brick in the wall. And then he wrote another song, which became the song My Shot. And that was another brick. And then we had these two things and we just started building together. So the conversations were about it was funny, Lynn's calling under the line. I'm so tempted to merge to merge him do right it, now. But do I, it do it, do it. Come on. I can't do it. I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> um, that would really be like, hey, you're live on guess what? That would be um,
1: hilarious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Breaking news. Lynn Manuel calls Tommy Kale. Um, but, you know, one of the early things we did to really connect us to Ron is I needed to read the book. And I said to Lin, let me read the book and let's not talk about what we want the show to be until we've both read it clean. You know, so Lynn obviously had spent a lot of time at the book and I was just coming to it. And I said, I want us to go through the book and on our own write down what we think could be a good song, what's a character that sparks, what's a what's an idea or a moment or a scene, and let's see where our lists overlap. Let's see where those Venn diagrams overlap. And we both had these initial lists, sort of Unsullied by the other's ideas and we kind of could compare them and that was really, uh, you know One of the important springboards for those early conversations when it was just the two of us talking about it And we had so many things that we shared that we thought should be told, um, you know so how do we explore this dynamic between George Washington and Hamilton well, Lynn wrote the song helpless which is for Eliza Sch- Skyler mm-hmm. and then there was one line that angelica has in it and we both knew well angelica has to be a part of this we can form this incredible bond between these two sisters and this complicated triangle and then satisfied came out of that so it was all just from talking and uh, and testing and trying things out and then you know alex lacamore our incredible music director and orchestrator, started to join the conversations. And we just worked towards this first concert in 2012. And we thought, let's just do 10 or 12 songs. Let's just see what we got. Let's not be encumbered by narrative. Let's just write and move towards whatever, you know, Lynn has moved to write towards and see what happens. And we did that concert in January of 2012. And that was really the first time that any of the music had existed in an orchestrated way in any sort of public fashion. And about 400 people saw it that night. And It was uh, a a great confidence builder that maybe there was something there for us to continue to explore.
1: And you mentioned the two sisters just then. Were any of your own two sisters in there? Did you latch on?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I will say this. You know, Lynn has a very uh, important um, older sister uh, to him. Uh, Alex Lackamore has the same. And one of the things that I think we were we were all interested in, implicitly and explicitly, was showing the bond and love between two sisters. And that's really the great love story of our show. Right. Uh, you know, and people, you know, people to question whether that's uh, something that can be um, consumed by the masses, I'm just oh. going to point to Frozen yeah. and Wicked.
1: I was going to say those Frozen, two, man.
0: <laughs> th- 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 that- those are two really dynamic shows about sisterhood and about sisters loving each other. And that was something that I think was at the core of the conversations that I had with our Broadway company, with Renee and Pippa and Jasmine, who played those three sisters. So that to me is in some way, the heartbeat of the show. And so that's absolutely informed by, by that relationship that I had and, and the affection that my sisters had for each other.
1: I, w- I want to know sort of that spark you, you saw in each of these people, like w- when you're in the casting room. Like Leslie Odom Jr., first time, or you're like, boom, Aaron Burr.
0: Well, you know, Leslie actually saw one of our early workshops up in 2013, and he was someone that I, I knew a little bit. Lynn knew him better than I did. And Lynn said hey, I think it's really worth us reaching out to Leslie to to come in and and jam with us a little bit. And from the second he walked in the room, it just felt like, oh, there's Aaron Burr. Like, you know, it just, he had a a confidence, he had... Um, a skill level. He had a complexity that felt like it was really well suited to the role. And, you know, his energy is so distinct and different from Hamilton's, not from Lynn's, but from Hamilton's. And that felt important. So that was, uh, that was a really happy moment. You know, I, and then I met them all in different ways. You know, Christopher Jackson, who plays George Washington, Chris and I met in 2002 or 2003 when we were putting together In the Heights. And so Chris knew about this show in 2009 when Lynn said to him once off stage at Heights, Hey, I've got our next show. And I got a part for you. And then, you know, about a week later, when I saw Chris, I said, Mr. President? And I think he understood what was going on. Um, so, you know, Chris is someone that I'd known for a dozen years. Renee Goldsberry, I met through the audition process, and she walked in and she delivered satisfied. And I thought, oh, She's smarter than Lynn. She's more skilled than Lynn. Let's put her in the world. Um, you know, and and Lynn agreed. Uh, you know, Philippa Sue, who played Eliza, was someone that I had seen in a show called Natasha Pierre in the Comet of eighteen twelve at a little theater that I'd worked at a lot called Ars Nova, and you know, with about seventy other people, she was in this really exciting new musical. And I actually turned to a casting director and a manager that I that I knew there at intermission, and I said, so is it going to be you or me because that's the real thing and um, <laughs> my friend Rachel Chavkin directed that and had put her in this show and they created this beautiful role for her and so I uh, I had mentioned that to Lynn Lynn then went to go see her in the show he thought she was terrific um, so we invited her to come to these, these early workshops and jam with us David Diggs who played Thomas Jefferson and Marquis de Lafayette was someone that I had met through a very good friend of mine at Wesleyan, Anthony Veneziali, who had started Freestyle Love Supreme with me and Lynn, which is an improvisational hip-hop show. And David was out on the West Coast in the Bay Area with Anthony, and Anthony introduced us to him, and we started getting to know him from this other project. And as Lynn and I were talking about the Lafayette Jefferson role, which was always going to be doubled, played by the same actor, Mm -hmm. and we thought, all right, who's a better rapper Who's more charismatic? Who's better? Li- oh, David. We should call him. <laughs> um, so we uh, we called David, and and David joined us. So it came from different places. Some people we met through more traditional casting. Some were uh, you know people we knew, um, and we just you know kept our you know kept our eyes wide open and and, and tried to listen for that spark.
1: Was there ever any doubt that Lin would play the lead? And you know and what and once he was the lead, what, what was it like? You know, he came to you with this idea. What's it like now? Now you're the one coaching his performance.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. You know, after we did In the Heights, where Lynn was the star of the show, one thing was really clear. Lynn and I were always interested in making shows that could exist beyond Lynn. Freestyle of Supreme was a show everyone said, well, was it going to work without Lynn? And we were able to find really talented people to, to make that happen. Yeah. Within the Heights, it was the same thing. And with Hamilton, you know – I said to Lynn after Heights, all right, so for the next one, will you please just sit next to me so we can solve this together? And then he performed that song at the White House, and I thought, okay, for the next one, can you? Um, So I knew pretty early that he he should originate the role of Hamilton. But Javier Munoz, who's now playing the role on Broadway, played the role once a week ever since we were down at the public. And what that was doing was letting the world know that, hey, this is not just about Lynn. Lynn made something out of his spirit of generosity that is bigger than Lynn. It's bigger than, it's, it's not about one person. It's, it's bigger than his talent or his ability to be a a dynamic performer. It's about the role. And Javier gave Lynn as a writer, a chance to watch the show. So Lynn could sit out there with me. And it also gave, I think confidence to our entire production that we were making something that could be durable and sturdy. And uh, you know, and again, that's, that's a testament to Lynn's spirit and, and to, uh, his willingness and desire to to share this this gift he has.
1: Do you have a favorite musical number in the show?
0: Oh, you know, it really it depends on the night. I, I will say <laughs> that I, I feel like Room Where It Happens, the work that Andy Blankenbuehler, our choreography, choreographer, did on that, Alex Lacamoire, our orchestrator, the way it's designed and lit is one that I think is, is really in some way a microcosm of the power of the show because it's taking a song about a dinner where they talked about where the capital should be. And it becomes a dynamic, explosive production number in a musical. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> except as I, as I said to the cast many times, with what Lynn gave us and what we're trying to make, it shouldn't exist except that it does and that to me feels like a, a really shiny example of that.
1: Awesome, do you remember that moment, it, you've rehearsed this thing over and over again, before it, the night before it opens on Broadway or the day it opens on Broadway, did you have sort of a sense inside yourself that this thing is gonna be massive? I mean, obviously you're surprised at the extent it took off, but was there something in you that was like, this is this is way different than anything we've seen?
0: I, at that point, you know, on Broadway, I, I, I knew that something was happening that was um, exceptional. You know, the the very first I- inkling, be, you know, because by the time we got to Broadway, we'd done, you know, and open on Broadway, we'd done 20 or 30 shows on Broadway, and the show had been around for about six or seven months. Right. When we did our very first show at the Public Theater, which was on January 20th which is Inauguration Day and, and also my birthday. So those are the two reasons I remember it.
1: Lots of um, tie-ins.
0: <laughs> lots of tie-ins. Um, I remember there was there was an, like a, an app that, that gives away a pair of tickets to shows. Um, it's called Today Ticks, Plug, mm-hmm. plug, plug. And <laughs> they were going to give away two tickets to the show, to our very first performance. So no one had seen it. There had been not a single person in the world who had seen it. And at the 290-seat theater, down at the public there were two seats that were gonna be given away and when I asked the the people at the public how many people had signed up for it they said well you know usually it's about 500 or 750 people will sign up for these tickets and I said well how many people signed up for these two and they said 12,000 <laughs> and that was to me like the scene in like the in like the the movie, the supernatural, like all of the animals are flying like out of the forest <laughs> really quickly. And you're like, why are they running from the forest? Um, you broke, you little- broke the app. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so there were just these, these moments where it's like, Oh, the, the anticipation was, was very high. But you know, down at the public theater, it was only 290 people at a time that could see it. There was nothing online. There was nothing written about it. Rebecca Mead wrote a really uh, terrific piece for The New Yorker. And that was really the only press that we had out. We really were just trying to keep our heads down and do the work. So, luckily, you're sort of protected by that because the job is just kind of make it better the next day. And by the time you pick your head up, you know, and the show is opening off Broadway, you're now starting to become aware of an energy building around it. Um, but you know, none of us ever expected that it would have the reach that it did, and and we're in, incredibly grateful that people have received it in this way and, and humbled by, by the reception.
1: I just want to know real quick about Tony Night. How crazy of a night was that to finally get up and, and and just watch one after another after another? I mean, you guys made Broadway history.
0: Well, you know, the whole thing was was such a celebration of, of the whole show and for us, of the whole community. And I think that's what was really important is that we never felt like that night was about us. We felt like it, it was a celebration of what it means to work in the theater, of what it means to be a part of this community. It was... Was a night that was so much bigger than us, you know. It was about a remarkable season on Broadway um, and and being part of this, this really vibrant and, and vital community that has persevered and evolved and and stood strong uh, for so long.
1: Awesome. Bring it back around to the archives, you know, final question. There's a sign out, outside the front of the archives that says past as prologue, and you guys are definitely bringing it back, just like the Spielberg quote we said earlier. You know, how cool is it going to be to be there and have mom and pops there and, and just come home and accept this awesome honor?
0: You know, it's... I'm proud of where I'm from. I made a show with incredibly talented people, and I'm a small part of of that uh, of, of, of that endeavor. But I, I do know it's a show that's about where you're from and trying to make home. And I always have felt that I'm so defined by where I'm from and by my family. And so to to be back in my hometown among them, you know, being being. You know, right next to Lynn and Ron, two people that I care about who have both worked so hard to try to make this, uh, you know, at a, at a building um, that stands for so many things that's that connect us to the past uh, feels, you know, it just it makes us very, feel very human sized <laughs> um, in an in 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 appropriate way, which is what a monument should do. Um, it reminds you of scale. And so we're just happy to do our part.
1: I caught up with Kale and Miranda again when they received the 2018 Kennedy Center honors. I remember we spoke with you guys a couple times before on WTOP. You said you right. said you drove past the monuments every morning going That's to Central right. yes. Friends and everything, and yeah. now history's alive. Share the story, both of you guys, of that initial. You said it was a G-chat, right? You said Lynn sent you a G-chat and said, I'm, I've am i just read this amazing book.
2: Do you remember this? Yeah, I sent a not-sober G-chat from Mexico <laughs> saying um, I'm watching Mad Men Season 1 on DVD and reading this really great book on Alexander Hamilton." I think there's something here. Yeah.
0: And of course, I thought that Mad Men would change my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I just read the wrong line. <laughs> That's awesome. And also, you've sort of come full
1: circle. With this. I mean, you mentioned the president in the White House. It started with that poetry jam at the White House. Yeah,
2: yeah it's funny. That, that moment was sort of a microcosm of our entire experience, right? You, I tell you the pitch for the musical. Everyone laughs, like, very cute. This is like a funny YouTube video. And then people get swept up in the story because it's an incredibly compelling life story. And by the end of the song, they're like, Wait, wait! But what happened with that guy? <laughs> and and so that that four minute experience, which was a once in a lifetime experience, has sort of been the experience of the show.
0: Yeah, I, you know, Alex, obviously, who was a big part of that moment, he was the one smiling very hard on the piano. You know, I, I say to this yeah. to these guys, but like. What if they had really biffed that performance? If you guys hadn't nailed that, we're definitely not here. We're definitely not not here. I also spoke
1: with Leslie Odom Jr., who played Hamilton's nemesis, Aaron Burr. Congratulations, sir. I appreciate you coming and talking the week of the Tonys. Thank you so much. Are you excited? What are you going to be doing sitting there thinking? I mean, you probably watched
3: the Tonys growing up for years, and now you're up there. I've never won a Tony. I've never been nominated. But I'm going to kind of treat it a little bit like the day I got married for my wedding day. You know, it's a lot of planning, a lot of money, a lot of time and energy and thought that goes into that day. And then on the day you really have to release and enjoy yourself and be present and let other people worry about where you're supposed to be and what time you're supposed to be there. So that's what I'm doing on the twelfth. I'm just gonna we're gonna stress up until the twelfth. But <laughs> once that day gets here, I'm gonna have a ball. Yeah.
1: What's it like knowing that you guys are up for a record number of, of awards? That I mean you're in a history making show here.
3: Yeah. It feels amazing. It feels like this show that we all believed in is is doing what we all believed it could and it exceeds our expectations almost every night with yeah. every audience that we have.
1: And I think I saw a little fun t- tidbit when you were on Fallon. You said you don't dress up until right before the show. That's right. What's the
3: deal with that? Well, because yeah, it just it just gives you longer to to think about not going out on stage, you just because yeah. it's a scary thing, and so I'd rather actually pretend like we don't have anything to do that night. We're just here for a hang, and then at the last moment, somebody shoves me out on stage. And in case some people missed your Tonight Show thing, recap yeah. the the story when you finally
1: left the stage, and you wa- were watching from the from the seats, and you were yeah. with a famous person. Was it Art oh,
3: Garfunkel?
4: That's right. That's
3: right yes. <laughs> just recap I that. I was one. with yeah. I. I, I it's, very, it's dark in the theater, and so there's just, you're just around silhouettes. Um, I was in the VIP section, so I knew that all these people were, you know, somebodies. And there was a man down the road from me who was a little disruptive. He's talking to his, to his wife. He's kind of singing along a little bit. It's very strange. And there's a woman in front of me who's getting very frustrated. She's turning around. Don't talk. Stop talking. It's not that hard. Just don't talk in the theater. And so I tapped my wife and I said, "It's gonna, it's gonna get ugly at intermission." Yeah. You could, t- I mean, she was really pissed. Yeah. And uh, at intermission, the lights come up and the man is Art Garfunkel and the woman is Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> and we have, uh, I've since formed a, a really close friendship with Shonda. And she explained to me. You know, you don't mess with people on their Hamilton with their Hamilton tickets because Shonda had flown her three best friends into town. They paid God knows how much for those tickets. It took a lot to get there. That's right. It's an experience (laughs) that you want to give people. So uh, no harm, no foul. But, uh, yeah, the stage, the the house manager had to talk to Mr. Garfunkel and ask him to be a little more quiet during act two. And he was. Tell me about Lynn
1: Manuel Miranda's genius. We're playing oh, off him every please. night. What does I he mean, give you as an
3: actor? Oh, please. He uh, Lynn works with an improvisational spirit. And so even though we're not making up words every night, it feels wholly new and it feels like we spin this yarn every single night. And that, you know, all of the all of the the culture, all of our ethos in the Richard Rogers Theater was given to us by Lynn. He's the visionary, and so we line up behind. We lined up behind him two and a half years ago when we started this process, and we continue to do it each night. He sets a, a, a just the most beautiful tone in the space, and it's just it's my favorite place.
1: Well, his name is in you know on the playbill and in the title, but you'll go down in history as the the damn fool that shot him. Right? Yeah. Is that, how's the line go? It's something. That's right. Yeah,
3: you got it. Could yeah. you say it? I'm the damn fool who shot him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And finally, I spoke with the big screen cast of In the Heights—Corey Hawkins, Leslie Grace, and Melissa Barrera—about why it's bound to be the movie of the summer.
5: How you doing?
1: We're hanging in there. Um, My wife and I absolutely loved this movie. I gotta say, like, it better be up for a best picture next year. I know come we gotta. On, watch.
5: Come on, come we'll,
1: we'll we'll on. to make God it year. Year. Yeah, we'll. See. Um. All right. So I, I want to know. Um. You know, I think I think I saw it at like the Kennedy Center with Anthony Ramos when it came to town. But which of you saw it on Broadway? Like, which of you was the most obsessed with Lynn's, the OBC, the soundtrack, all that stuff?
4: Melissa. I don't know.
5: <laughs> she says, I don't know. <laughs>
6: <laughs> no, I was a huge. I was, I was, am a huge fan of the show. I saw it many, many times on Broadway with Lynn, with the original cast, with every other cast. I would audition for it every chance that I got. I never got a callback nothing but, uh, but now i'm here, so. now you're here.
1: it all paid off
6: <laughs>
1: so yeah but i mean obviously you know obviously you can do things on screen that you can on stage i mean it was great on stage lin-manuel's soundtrack is amazing but on screen you know when when john chu gets involved like Particularly, I'm thinking of, of you two, Leslie and Corey, dancing on the side of the, the dang building. <laughs> how, how is that actually even achieved? I know a magician doesn't give up its tricks, but come on. Give us some, <laughs> some cool uh,
4: filmmaking tidbits here.
5: Oh, man. We're magic. This side that's, of the dang building.
4: We're magic. That's, 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 that's what it is. We are magic. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we uh, there's a lot of heart and soul and work and blood, sweat, and tears went into building it. Um it was the last shot of the it was the last actually shot of the sh- shoot, right? Like it was
6: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, last number last, to shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: last numbers that we shot. And uh there was a lot of technical camera ballet there too. Cause it's like we had our own choreography, but then the camera team and Alice are incredible DP. Um just we just had to work together and figure out how to how to how to do that. And and Leslie yeah. and I we 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 struggled through
5: yeah we leaned on each other for those li- figuratively and literally yeah. um and on the rest of our choreo team we we uh we left our parts of our body on that on that side of the building yeah. for sure but it and was I, it.
4: also just add that like you said like John Chu's sensibility yeah you know on stage is one thing but you can't do necessarily all of those things on on uh, on stage. You can't bring Highbridge Park with the pool and everything no. to the stage and do that for 96,000. So the cinematic world sort of opens it up in and in a, cracks it open for us in a whole new way.
1: Absolutely. And what I loved about it too was not only do each of your characters get, you know, a really touching love story, but you each have your own individual character arc too. So, um, you know, for instance, you know, Melissa, your character, Vanessa, she's working at the salon, but she has these big dreams of being a, a fashion designer. Like talk about why, why it's cool that each character gets its own arc like that from beginning to end.
6: Well, I think this movie and what John Chu and what Lin and, and Kiara did with the original show that John wanted to, you know, expand upon is the idea that these people matter and their stories matter, and and that he wanted to give each of them the moment and the, the validity to their dreams. It doesn't matter if, if the dreams are, you know, to go away to college and, and build a pathway for dreamers to become citizens. It doesn't matter if your dream is to, you know, continue the, the business of the dispatch and and, you know, build it within your community, or if you want to go downtown and be a fashion designer, all of those dreams are important because each personal experience, you know, when you're living your life for you, those are your highest stakes, you know, like your dream is, is everything for you. So I think it, it, it's beautiful that you get to see all these people that grew up together, that know each other and love each other, each have their own dreams and their own experiences and how they all lift each other up and help each other in, in their paths and in their journeys to achieve those dreams.
1: Absolutely. And, and all set against the backdrop too of, I mean, there's such a, this movie is such a big win for representation on the screen. I mean, everyone's going to go out and see so many different cultures at play here, but someone speak to that. I don't know who wants to take that, but you know, we, we, this is going to be a truly diverse musical for a change.
5: Yes. For a change. Come on now. That's what we want. We need to see ourselves on screen. And I think Um, Jimmy always said, we all have been saying it, if you can see it, you can be it. And um, you don't realize how much you miss uh seeing people that look like you or seeing people that look like some someone that you know on screen until you do see it. And uh I definitely experienced that in reading, in reading Nina's sides, even when I was auditioning. And we all did, like, you know, whether you fell in love with the 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 story on stage or through, you know, getting to know it firsthand experience like me through making the film. Um we know these people, you know, and they're universal themes and they're universal there's uh, they're things that hit everybody's heart and hit home. Um so to be able to see it through this scope of a of a predominantly Latino community um is beautiful because usually we're not allowed to dream this big. So so proud so proud to be a part of it.
1: And we're honored to watch it, it's awesome. You know, it's been such a horribly depressing year with the pandemic and, you know, the election, everything was like, it's been it's in heated God, the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, there's been so much heaviness. Talk about why this is the perfect film to kind of, as we're on the way out of this pandemic, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, maybe get people dancing out of the theater again, or maybe dancing at home on HBO Max.
4: <laughs> it's important. It's important um because, it has been a heavy year and uh, we all get to, to go back to the theaters, I mean, to be able to sit down, get your popcorn maybe, you know, get your concessions and, and just really just treat yourself. Like we haven't been able to treat ourselves, you know what I mean, for this incredibly hard year. And um, yeah, I, just the perfect words for it, you know, John calls this film sort of a vaccine shot of hope or joy. And uh, it is. It really is. You get to move, tap your feet. You know, you might not have rhythm, but you are gonna have rhythm by the time you leave the theater. I can promise you that. Yep. Um, <laughs> like it's just, it's that good. It's fun. It's fun, and it's a, it's like the great summer. A, it'd be a great summer musical film in any year, but particularly, particularly after the the uh, challenging few years we've had for us to all go to be together and and just. Look at each other and see each other and and experience.
6: And remember to celebrate. Allow ourselves to celebrate even the smallest victories. You know, not everyone made it out of this pandemic. There's a lot of people that didn't make it out. Mm. But if you did, you survived. Allow yourself to celebrate that. And I feel like this movie is a gigantic celebration. And so it's perfect for today.
1: Bound to be the movie of the summer. And I hope, like we said at the beginning, it goes on to the Oscars. It's going to be Sharks and Jets. It's going to be you versus West Side Story. I'm telling you, you're going to be duking it out for the best musical, but I think you might have it. So, all right, right, thanks so much, everybody.
4: (laughs) Thanks for all of us.
1: Thank Thank you.